Well, there's some good news. And I think it always fits that a lot of things have going on this morning. We still need to pray for our, I haven't got the good news yet. We got to pray for our mission teams that will be going out in just a little bit. The good news is I only have one verse uh, to expound this morning. The bad news is I have 29 points that go with that one verse. And uh, that, uh, anyway, just think of it. You'll be really hungry when you get to lunch today, all right? Thank you, Wendell, for sharing about the Gideon ministry, and and I hope you'll all be involved in that at the end as we give to that. Um, music was great. The, the focus on Christ was so good this morning. And, and it's, it's appropriate because that's what this verse focuses on. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. You know it. You've memorized it probably as a child. You've thought about it. We even looked at it a little bit last week in light of uh, talking about not being carried away by varied and strange doctrines or teachings. But I, I want us to focus on it a moment today because I think it's a very important verse. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As I was thinking about the sermon this week and preparing some, I, I kind of pictured this verse a little unusual. I, I thought about it, it's kind of what I would call a, a ribbon and a bow verse. In other words, it comes along, you've got all this truth that we've had in the book of Hebrews, and this verse just sort of wraps it up and puts a bow on it and says, this is what it's all about. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, never changes. Never changes. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for about a year and a half. And, and as we're moving toward the end, one thing has been absolutely clear. This book is about Jesus Christ. He deals with all the sacrifices and how Jesus is superior to those sacrifices. He deals with the Old Testament law and he shows how Jesus is superior to the law. He talks about angels and he talks about prophets and he talks about everybody else and he shows clearly throughout this whole book that Jesus Christ is above all. Thus the series title, Christ Above All. The writer of Hebrews wanted those Jewish believers 2,000 years ago to understand the same thing that he wants you and me to understand in the 21st century, and that is Jesus Christ never changes. Never changes. If you want to use the theological term that is used for that, we would talk about the immutability of Christ, the unchangeableness of Christ. The fact that he who was before the creation, he who was there when God created everything that there is, and the one who was born in that little manger in Bethlehem, and the one who died on a cross, and the one who we sang about raised from the dead, and the one who's coming back in the future, second time to this earth, the one thing we understand is, is that this Jesus Christ never changes. He never changes in his character. He never changes in his purpose. He never, ever changes. He is the immutable one. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. He is the God-man. He is the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He is the one who died on the cross for our salvation. I mean, I mean this is the one we're talking about here, and, and you need to understand, he never, 
ever changes. We change. The best of us change. The best of us not only change physically and mentally as we grow up, the best of us even change in our attitudes and in our personality. And, and one day we may be just as, as happy and as joyous and, as you could ever imagine anybody to be. And the next day we may be grumpy and, and in a bad mood and not want to be around anybody. We change back and forth. We shift like the winds. But Jesus Christ never, ever changes. James put it in an interesting way in his little epistle. He said, in him there is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation or shifting shadow. If you watch on the, uh, the course of a day, shadows shift. If you've got a pole standing up, it'll be pointing one way in the morning. It'll be pointing the other way at night. Shadows move about. God and Jesus never, ever change. They're immutable. They're unchangeable. Now, I suppose I could stop there because that is the essence of what this verse says. But I want you to see why the writer, whom I'm becoming more and more convinced is Luke, wrote this book. I'll tell you that when we get to the end of the book. I'll come back and tell you why I've decided I'm convinced pretty much that Luke wrote it. But, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. But what I want you to see is why he put that verse in there. Why in, in, in the ending chapter, in the ending section, as he's drawing this letter that is a sermon to a close, why he just emphatically says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It, it, he says that based on everything he said prior to it. He says that based on everything that he's talked about in this book. And, and what I want to do is a very quick run-through, if you will. That's the 29 points. I want you to see the things that this writer has said about Jesus. I want to remind you the things that we have done full sermons on expositionally, that point, but I want you to see it in sort of a rapid-fire, bullet-point way. First of all, the writer said at the very beginning in verse, verse 2 of chapter 1 that he is God's agent of creation. This one, Jesus Christ, in, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus, this one who never changes, is the one who, who is the agent of creation. Secondly, he sustains the physical universe. This one who died on the cross holds everything together. In, in chapter 1, verse 3, he said, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the power of his word. He is the agent of creation. He sustains the physical universe. This man, Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the Son of God. In 4.14, he calls him Jesus, the Son of God. In 5.5, he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In, in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, and they have fallen away, and if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify themselves the, to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This one, Jesus, who is the same always, is the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, the, the, the firstborn of all creation, the, uh, the one who is preeminent over all beings. As a matter of fact, the fourth point 
that the writer makes, thus I get ahead of myself, is that he is higher than any created being. 1.4 says, having become much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. 1.9 says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with all of gladness above all your companions. 2.8 says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. He is greater than anything, an angel, a prophet, a, a preacher, a, a church. He, he's greater than anything that's ever been created. He is the Son of God, reigning and ruling forever, never changing. He is altogether transcendent is the fifth point I want you to see that the writer brings out. In verse 26 of chapter 7, he says, For it was fitting for us to have such a great high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, and listen to this, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. That is the transcendence of God. There is an eminence where he is close by his Holy Spirit, where he draws near to us and we draw near to him, but there is a transcendence. He is totally different than us. That, that enters in his holiness. That enters in his righteousness. He is different from any of his created beings, any of those who have even come to him by faith. He is altogether transcendent. Six, he is eternal in every way. 6.20 says, where Jesus entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 7.24 and 25 says, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. The other priests lived and died. The other priests were priests as long as they lived. He holds his priesthood permanently permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives, always lives to make intercession for them. He is eternal in every way. He is called God, and he has an eternal kingship. It says in verse 1-8, but the son of the Son of God, or of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, talking to the Son, calling Him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter and the scepter of His kingdom is in your hand. Eighth, He is worshipped by the heavenly beings. One six says, and when He again brings the firstborn into the world, He says, and let all the angels of God worship Him. There is a, there is a falling down before Him by everything in all the, the universe. You, you see that in the book of Revelation, in chapters 4 and 5, where he is seated on the throne, and, and all, of the, all of the beings of heaven are worshiping him. The, the elders are worshiping him. The cherubim and the cherubim are all worshiping him. There's a worship that's being given to him, and he never changes. Ninth, he's God's first begotten, that is, his most exalted one. Chapter 6, uh, verse 6 of chapter 1 is speaking of that. 10, he became altogether human. Now this is, a, this is the, the little strange twist here. This one who never changes, this, this immutable one, took on flesh. He, he became a human being. He, he, he was born in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem after existing for all eternity. He, he took on flesh. Chapter 2, 16 through 18 says that God made him like his brethren so that he himself might be tempted in everything which he suffered and tempted in every way in which we are tempted and yet without sin. 
4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we have also, and yet he is without sin. He became altogether human. But, 11, he became altogether sinless, or he was altogether sinless. 4.15, we've already looked at. 9.14, he talks about the sinlessness of, of presenting himself without blemish to God. 12th, he was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. 9.26 says, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 10.10 says, by this, will we ha by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, never to be offered again, never to be sacrificed again. He, he never changes in that sacrifice. He died on the cross in our place as our substitute, as our atoning sacrifice. And, and, and he never changes from that. He will always be the only sacrifice that is sufficient to bring unity and uni uniting with God, a return to God. He's the only one that can. 13, the, the, the writer talked about this one who never changes being our sin bearer. In 9.28, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. He is our sin bearer. 14, this one who never changes, destroyed the devil by his own death. In, in verse two, uh, chapter 2, four, uh, verse 14, he says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. This one who never changes has defeated Satan by his death, burial, and resurrection. He's seated at the right hand, 15th here if you're keeping score on numbers. He sits at the right he sits at God's right hand right now. 1-3 says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, symbolizing that his work was complete. 8-1 says that he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty. And 12-2 says we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We talked about the significance of him being seated at God's right hand. The significance of the fact that when he said on the cross, it is finished, he didn't mean his suffering was over. He didn't mean that now he could get off the cross. When he said it is finished, he meant it's been accomplished. My work is done. I've done everything that needed to be done. There's nothing that can be added. There's nothing that can change it. It's the same yesterday, today. And forever. He is fully understanding of those who are his. 4.15 says, For we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was, has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You know, you know the, the experience in the, in the wilderness when, when, when God took him out there and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and, and Satan came along and tempted him three times in the areas of the flesh, uh, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of the eyes and, and, and just the, the whole idea in every way we're tempted, he was tempted and yet without sin. It, it was so that he might understand 
what we go through in order that he might sympathize the writer says and be fully understanding of our experience as our savior 17 is he intercedes for us when we sin verse 25 of chapter 7 725 says that that he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them I don't know about you, but that's a glorious thought to me that, that Jesus Christ, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who never changes, is seated at the right hand, and he's busy praying for me, interceding for me. Praying for me even when I don't know how to pray for myself. 18, he's coming again. We sang about that. 928 says, So Christ also, being offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Or 1037, For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. We may not be able to pinpoint the time. And if we try, we'll miss it. And we can make up all sorts of things about why it was and it wasn't, but it is or it won't be, but you know, it, it just doesn't work. But he is coming again. And the writer to, this, to these Hebrews wants us to understand that he is coming again. That is not, that is not some kind of pipe dream. That is not some kind of a, a fairy tale. That's not some kind of a religious story. That is the absolute truth. He is coming again. He will ultimately triumph over evil, number 19. Ultimately triumph over all. 10.13 says, Waiting from the time owner until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That is, he will ultimately tri uh, triumph over our sin and ultimately triumph over his enemies. 20. We're moving quick here now. He was... He was the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament system. We spent a lot of time talking about that. But it's important to realize that the one who fulfilled the Old Testament system is the one who never changes. 9.9 nine and following, you, you can read that whole chapter, says which is a symbol for the present time according to both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation, until the time of his coming, until the time of his sacrifice. And when Christ came in that time that the writer calls the time of reformation, he came and he fulfilled everything as the perfect Lamb of God. 21, he makes God directly accessible to us. Uh, we talked about that in the pastoral prayer. We sang about this this morning uh, a bit also. He, he makes God directly accessible to us. In 4.16, he says, the writer says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 talks about, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, let us draw near to God. He was inaccessible. 
the veil protected. Only the high priest could go in and only once a year. And the people stood around and thought, oh, I hope he's interceding properly for us. We don't have that. We don't have a high priest on earth anymore. We only have a high priest in heaven. And that high priest has opened the veil, opened the access. We have direct access to God through this one who never changes. 22, he is always with us. One three, uh, excuse me, thirteen five says, "Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you.' He's always with us. Twenty three, but he begins and he completes our faith. You know, we talked about that. That's one of my favorite." truths, if you will, of this whole book. In, in chapter 12, verses two, verse 2, he says, and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Yeah, the author and the perfecter. He, he wrote it, he, he composed it, he, he, he authored it, and he per perfects it. Every other religion on the face of the earth says this, here is a way to God. I hope you can do it. Every other religion says, here's a path that if you follow, you may find God and you may find peace and you may find joy if you can stay on it, if you can do it. Only Christianity says, here's the way to God and I have opened that way for you and I will take you on that way and I will see you all the way to the end. I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'm always there. I'll, I'll never let you go. You are mine. He begins and he completes our faith, thus our salvation. 24, he is our priest. He's our great high priest. Uh, 3.1 and 4.14 both talk about that. He's called our great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of that. He is the only priest, the only intercessor that we have, and he's the only intercessor we need. He is our, 25th, he is our apostle. That is the one sent to us with the message. Uh, 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. This Jesus is our brother. 26th. 2.11 and 12 says, For he is not ashamed to call us brethren. 2.17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. He is our brother. There, there's a family relationship here by adoption, by his work on the cross, that God brings us into his family. And he's not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. 27, he is the whole substance of our faith. He is everything about our faith. We don't have faith plus some, uh, faith in Jesus plus something else. It's not faith in Jesus plus works makes you right with God. It's not faith in Jesus and trying harder that makes you right with God. It's not faith in Jesus plus anything else. Matter of fact, you put faith in Jesus plus anything else, it becomes error. It becomes a falsehood. He is the total, complete 
substance of our faith, 12.2. 28, he is the mediator of the new covenant. 12.24 says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That is, the new covenant's been established, he mediates it for us, he brings us into it. And 29, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. We haven't gotten there yet. That's 13.20, but I'll go ahead and mention it, we'll talk about it in a week or so. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Whew, okay. I don't know about you, I'm tired. That was a sprint. But here's the point. Here's the reason I want you to see that again. You could easily say, well, Bill, you've told us all that. We've dealt with that over and over for, for months now. But I want you to see it all in one thing. I want you to see it wrapped up with a bow and a, a ribbon put on it by this statement, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I want you to see that the writer here wants you to be clear and wants you to understand that, that what, the, what Jesus is is our everything. I want you to see that the, the writer here says, look, folks, if you don't focus and fix your eyes and, and, and really concentrate on who he is and what he has done, and that's it, then you miss the boat. And I want you to see that that little statement, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, is absolutely the greatest source, the greatest source of security and the greatest source of comfort and the greatest source of encouragement that any Christian can ever have. Now, for an unbeliever, it's not so much. Because an unbeliever would kind of hope that maybe Jesus might change his mind every now and then and might say, well, it, it's not only through me, it's through other ways. No, Jesus never changes. His truth never changes. And for you and me, it, it ought to give us great security. We, we talked in, in, in Systematic Theology on Wednesday night in our class, we, we talked about the immutability of God a bit. We, we talked about how that is, a, that is a great source of encouragement, a great source of comfort, a great source of security. Because he never changes. He's always the same. He's not fickle. He, he's not... He's not pragmatic. He's, he's, he's steady. And he's pointed. And he's clear. And he is God. I mean, this whole book has been just such a, for me, and, and you know, I've been, I've been preaching for 40 years almost. And yet this, this time in this book and this, this focusing on Christ again and focusing on who he is and what he's done and, and just really getting down to the bare bones of the fact that he never changed the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, it's just brought a great new source of joy to my life. And I hope it is to yours.
Because if you know Christ, I'd say, man, drive a stake in that right there. I mean, if you know Christ, realize He is the author and finisher of your faith, and, and He's caring for you, and He'll never leave you, and He'll never, ever change. He's not capricious like we can be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's above all. He's in all. Everything that was created was created by Him and through Him and for His glory. You were created for the glory of God. You were, you were not created just to say, oh, man, this is great. I can, I can gather some stuff for myself and, and I can be comfortable and I can be happy and, and I'm going my very way. You were created so that everything you get, as we sang about a little bit earlier, everything we have is a, a gift of your hand, that everything you have, everything you are, everything within your being will be for the glory of God. the glory of his name and for the gospel. If you ask me what is Grace Baptist about, it's about one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not about Bill Haynes. It's not about something new. It's not about something that just kind of had to happen. It's about the one who never changes. And if you don't know him, I invite you to him. I invite you to Christ who never changes. I invite you to come into his presence and know him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we were able to listen as fast as I was talking. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will overcome the rapidness, the rapid fire of those points. And Lord, just let us just let us see the great reality of the greatness of Christ. When we sang, living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. Rising He justified freely forever. Mm. Oh, what a glorious day. Father, teach us the truth that though we may change and though we may become fickle, Jesus 
never changes. And He is our Lord to even overcome our fickleness. The author and the finisher of our salvation. Father, I pray for men and women that don't know you. Pray your Holy Spirit will move among us. Draw men and women to yourself. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a commitment.